Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Hello, thanks for joining the Pope and Young Podcast. This is Jason Roundsville. I'm joined today. I've got my co-host Dylan Ray on, and we have... Straight from Mossy Oak, we have Ronnie Cuz Strickland. Thank you so much for making the show today, and and welcome to Pope and Young. Well, thanks for the invite, guys. I appreciate it. It's uh, it's not exactly that <clears throat> hardcore bull hunting time of the year down here, but I'm uh, I'm always always up for talking about that. I promise you. Absolutely. Well, I, I saw you're going to be on as a guest, and uh, this is just I, I've been a Mossy Oak fan from way back and so i just have to jump in and and tell one of my mossy oak stories and i'm sure you get these all the time but i just i don't get to talk to the mossy oak guys all the time so i just have feel like i need to share it well let and, it, buddy. i love uh, i love hearing that stuff oh man i did so for me um you know I, i'm a bow hunter i'm also a duck hunter so for me i think my favorite camo of all time is mossy oak shadow grass the the original shadow grass i've got you know i remember when i got my first uh columbia widgeon parka in that and i i don't think it could have been any more comfortable any better or anything else and since then i've been hooked on that pattern and i've got i think i've got nine duck boats in that and blinds and everything else and so years ago, good uh, good buddy of mine is over at Tango Free Waterfowl Products, and we were doing some product development, and he was making some new ground blinds, and I'm like, I just don't understand why you don't put this in shadow grass, 
and, and he says, well, you know, the new the new pattern is this other pattern. That's what everybody's going to. And I said, yeah, I know, but it just doesn't fit in as many places as, as shadow grass does. And so he, I think he got so tired of hearing me talk about mossy oak shadow grass <laughs> that he actually had a layout blind made in mossy oak shadow grass just to shut me up. He never offered it like commercially. So I think I have the only, uh, only dead zone layout blind from Tangle Free in mossy oak shadow grass. But I, I think it was just because he got tired of hearing me talk about it. <laughs> well, that's awesome. You know, uh, <clears throat> sometimes uh, if you just look through social media and watch television, you won't think, you know, camel's that big of a deal. Let me tell you something. Duck hunters, predator hunters, bow hunters, turkey hunters, it's going to always be a big deal to them. But, oh, for sure. You know, they, they just depend on it, and it does make a difference. Yeah. You know, how well you blend in makes a difference. I don't care. And you see some crazy patterns out there and some real expensive stuff, and it's got all these light colors, and I'm like, wow. You know, so people that, that just just strive to be successful and pay attention to details, they, they learn that. And that's yeah. not a plug for me or anybody else. So, but I love I love that story. And some, you know, some people are just more passionate than others. I get, I get it. Yeah, it's just it's one of those things. I think Corey finally just got tired of me asking, so he just sent me one. So it was uh, it's good. I've still got it, it's still in my Canada trailer, and it's still yeah, one, used. one of a kind. You should one of these days you can put that on eBay and get a lot of money for it. Oh no, man! It's it's it'll be in my it'll be in my trailer when i kick the bucket that's not going anywhere <laughs> i have a few buddies who wouldn't mind taking that one home just just because of the significance of it but yeah one of a kinds man one offs that's good stuff and uh, yeah it is i i'm not a duck hunter myself but i know how passionate they are and man that uh those those patterns mean a lot to those guys and i tell you I, i'm not a duck hunter but there's nobody more passionate about what they do and that's hard work so hey my hat's off to you duck hunters i promise you. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's more passionate they're just they they might just be a little crazier than some of the other folks man they uh they they get after it i can tell you that I, I, yeah i've never i've never been bit by the bug and i've videoed and filmed and produced tvs at some of the best locations ever and it's pretty it just ain't my cup of tea, so. Yeah, and it's, you know, some folks just, man, I got guys that, that they wouldn't walk across the street to, to shoot a, you know, 200-inch deer, but they'll drive across the country to to shoot, you know, six teal. It's just, yeah, it's, it's different. It, it is different. They Hey, different strokes for different folks. I wouldn't walk That's across right. the street. I would walk across the street to shoot every banded mallard in the flyway. But I, 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 I understand it. I, I get the passion. I really do. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I'll tell you what, bands are something a little bit special. I've, I've got some stories about some of those, but it's, uh, it's interesting. And, and, you know, thank goodness that, that everybody likes something a little bit different. Because if we were all out there trying to do the same thing, it'd be even more crowded. Yeah, amen to that. So yeah. I give I give them their due. That's a that's a a passionate thing, and it's a beautiful hunt to video. You know, I produced TV for Mossy Oak for twenty something years, and those were some of the the prettiest hunts ever. But again, 
Yeah, you know, I just I, I just never got bit by that bug. And I grew up in a place that was just magnificent if you like to duck hunt, right on the Mississippi River. Yeah. And around Natchez. We had all the duck hunting you wanted down there. It just wasn't my thing. Yeah. And so what is your bug? What's what's your go to? My you know, my go to is is two things. Turkey hunting is 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 you know, if I had to pick one, if I'm on death row can only do one, it's gonna be turkey hunting, but I've always been a pretty avid bow hunter. I mean, about as addicted to that as you can get. Everybody, they kind of think of me as a turkey hunter, and that's cool. I've, I've written three books about turkey hunting, which are mostly humor. But, you know, I was bow hunting before I was really, you know, known for turkey hunting. I grew up hunting in the Homochitta National Forest, and I I ran a, uh, the archery division of a big sporting goods store down there. I was the Golden Eagle Archery Dealer of the Year in, like, 19... I don't know, 82 or something like that. So, you know, yeah. That was my first, my first compound bow was a golden eagle. Yeah. I've sold so many of those things. I had people coming from all over because we would totally rig them out at that sporting goods store. I would camouflage them. I would cut, cut the arrows and, you know, fletch them and all that. And back then you were cutting arrows. You had like a copper tubing cutter, one, one, one shaft at a time. And, uh, you know, using a candle and melting wax to put the knocks and the inserts in. I, I, if I had a dollar for every one of those I did, I'd be retired for sure. But <laughs> my bow hunting roots go way, way back, way that's, back. That's pretty good. You know, uh, to me, I think I started bow hunting in the late 80s, probably 87 or so. And and for a lot of the folks on the show, that's before they were. I, I think you, you predate me even by a little bit. Oh yeah, I, you know I can remember. Uh, yeah, I, I was bow hunting in the, you know, middle to late sixties. Wow. <laughs> and, and yeah, it was uh, all recurve stuff back then. The first compound bow that came into my town, I'll never forget it. Was an it was called an Indian stalker, and it really didn't have a string. It had the cable ran all through the pulleys, and you just put your knock on that cable. But it had a it had a pin sight on it. It was built into the riser, and you had a little nut and back it up with a red dot on the end of it. So, so back then, a, a bow like that that was brand new, top of the line technology. Yeah, I mean it's crazy when you go from a recurve to something with a a pulley system, and I think it was maybe fifty percent let off or sort of sixty percent. It man, it made me way more accurate. Of course, you know this is before release aids and. All that kind of stuff. So, you know, I've, I've been able to watch the whole technology emerge from nothing to what it is today. That's, that's been a fun ride. Oh, man. What, what do you think going from 60s to now? What is the single biggest thing? Uh, in, in archery equipment, I, you know, I, I'd have to say the release aid, the, the, the first one I saw was homemade. A guy was using it in a tournament. We were down around Jackson, Mississippi, and he had a, what looked like a giant button with a like some paracord in the middle of it and a slot that was drilled in it. And he would wrap that paracord around that string, and that string had a knot on it. And he would he would slip that knot through that slot and pull that button back with his fingers. And when we got ready to shoot, he just popped that that uh the knot with his thumbnail, which uh, okay. you know. 
Yeah, and I mean, there was no class or anything for a release. Nobody knew what it was. But, I mean, the guy was killing everybody. So, you know, that was that technology happened fast. And the, shortly after that, the first one I saw was called a Pro Injector, and it was made out of plastic and looked like brass knuckles with a button on it. But, uh, yeah, we all bought those uh, Pro Injectors and stuff. So, you know, the deal with release aids and this is just my take because I, I shot calf hair tabs forever, shot competition with them. Uh, to, I, I was shot in Las Vegas at the PAA thing, amateur one time. But when uh, when you shot your fingers with a calf hair tab, you, you really needed to shoot gear around. You needed to shoot a lot to, to just get that feel and that perfect anchor. You know? And my, you know, with a release aid, I don't feel like I need to do that. I can go grab my bow right now that I put back up there in January and grab it and knock an air in it put that release aid and get back to 20 yards and hit a ping pong ball. I just feel like I can do that. So I, I think the release aid was a big thing. Of course, the, the technology in archery has come so far. There's other things. But, you know, my take, again, is a little bit different. And, and I revert back to Gene Wenzel. Gene and Barry Wenzel were good friends of mine. And I was interviewing Gene one time, and he, he made the statement. I forgot what we were talking about, but he said he was explaining the difference in archery and bow hunting. And he said, just don't ever forget bow hunting is not about how far, it's about how close. Because yeah. was in the, the hunting part. And I've always been kind of a, you know, prescribed to that prescription there. So I, I love that part of, uh, you know, that, that old school part of bow hunting. Getting close gets back to your camo and your wind and your approach. There's so much to it, you know. And I've never been that guy that, that, that can shoot like Levi Morgan. I could, you know hold my own but i've just you know i've always felt like that 99 percent of the good clean kills i had were under 20 yards you know we just recently talked to to one of our other guests and they said over i think about 90 animals they keep a they keep track of it and i think their average elk shot was 18 yards and their average deer shot was 22 yards and, you know, people think you have to be able to shoot 50, 60 yards, but a lot of those animals are taken, taken significantly closer than that. So you think that the, the most significant change has been the release aid? And you just yeah. think, I mean, there's so many, you know, the, the cam systems, the, the limbs, you know, the way they've changed the strings, arrows going from wood to aluminum to carbon. Uh, it's just, there's so many different things that, that it's hard to pick just one. Yeah. I, you know, the reason I say it's the release aid, I don't care what kind of bow you got, brand new, what kind of strings you got. None of that. None, you still have to go through the motion of drawing that bow back and holding your nerves good enough to let the air go. And letting that air go, if you're doing it with your fingers, if you're nervous, that makes a big difference, you know, because you really got to have some good form to be really accurate shooting calf hair tabs and stuff like that. With a release aid, it's just kind of like pulling the trigger. Yeah. You know, it, it, that's a, You would have to have shot your fingers for a decade or more to realize what an advancement that was, especially the good release aids. It, it, there's no tension on your fingers. Your form automatically becomes better. It's just one less thing to worry about. You can kind of concentrate on the critter 
and your sight pen or your peep or whatever it is. It, it was a big innovation. So again, yeah. just my opinion. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, the sites and some of the sites that are available nowadays are just so much different than what they were even not that long ago. Yeah, I've seen that transform too. It used to be just, you know, a, a stamped out piece of metal with three pins with brass nuts on them. And I thought that was cool. And then you had the Keller pendulum tree stand sites. I don't know if you guys yeah, saw Yeah, I've those. seen those. Yeah, I used to, but man, I sold so many of those things. It was unbelievable. Hundreds through that sporting goods store. It was uh, compensated for the up and down. But uh, now they're so fine tuned. You know, if you've got enough wherewithal, if you're in great shape, if the wind's not blowing any and your eyesight is like Will Clark, you know, he he's, he was the home run hitter, the high hitter for the San Francisco Giants. He had like 2010 or something. If your eyesight is that good and you can see those tiny, tiny little pins out to 100 yards, that probably is super. But yeah. I, I just catch myself setting everything up to be successful close in. And yeah. that means that means you got to prepare for a lot of things. You got to prepare to not make any noise, not make much movement. It's going to be low light so many times. And a lot of that stuff, to me, doesn't work as good in a true hunting situation. When I'm setting up in the fork of an oak tree, lean back, trying to not cast any shadows or move, and that deer's 20 yards or in, and I'm just, you know, I set my stuff up a little different, especially at my age. But my my deal is I want a couple of things to happen. I want to be able to make that draw really smooth. I don't want to have to raise my bow up or push it down. I just push it straight away. I don't want yeah. any noise. I don't want any noise at all on that air or that air rest. And uh, those are big priorities to me. And I I don't I don't necessarily need to look at five pins when I'm that late in the evening, you know, I'm a, I'm a kind of a one. I have two pins on my bow right now, but sometimes I just have one. But, you know, it, it just depends on what you do. I, you know, I live in Mississippi, and for years, decades, most of my hunting's done down here for white-tailed deer. Now, I've killed elk, five elk, killed a couple of caribou. You know, I've, I've bow hunted other places, and I've changed my setup for that. When I'm going to be on the ground, I may have to, like I shot an elk at 48 yards one time, which was about my limit. Well, I had, I think I had four pins on my bow then. But yeah. down here, 90% of what I do is trying to ambush a white-tailed deer. So I set things up accordingly. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's just it's just whatever you do. I don't have any issue. My, You know, for me, the days of packing in from the trailhead, and, you know, hiking 12 miles and pitching my tent and all, those days are gone. What I want to do is be as absolutely as lethal and successful as I can be with a bow because I still bow hunt. You know, I, I yeah. got two or three deer with it last year. So I don't mind making a few modifications. And I've learned over the years, to you know, the KISS method, keep it simple, stupid. I know what can go wrong. And so many of those situations, it was either – you know, making some noise, making too much movement, uh, couldn't get the bow back, sights blurred together. I just, I've got, I feel like I got it down as good as I can get it right now and still love bow hunting. You know, I've yeah. brought my pound, I've brought my poundage down, but man, with the broad heads and airs they got now, 
I mean, look at Uncle Ted Nugent. He's shooting like 48 pounds, and he's killing stuff left and right. But yeah. Great, great bow hunter and his broadheads are just painfully sharp. So sometimes I think people can rely a little bit too much on technology. I still love to sharpen a broadhead. That's a that's kind of technique that's kind of, you know, we're, we're forgetting about. And, so, right. and usually you don't have to, but it's something I enjoy. It's just like, you know, sometimes I'll go hunting out. I'll get my golden eagle out and I'll shoot it for a week and I'll go hunting with a calf air tab for a couple of days. But it's just whatever you like, whatever you, whatever you're good at. Yeah. Well, it's, it's good. You know, you pull the broadheads out and I think a lot of people just assume, well, they're just can't, they're brand new out of the package. They're good enough. But, uh, I know when I'm fishing, I still check my hooks, make sure they're sharp before I put them out. Yeah, you know, the, the, if you're an older guy and you, you've been bow hunting for a long time, <clears throat> you would never dream of shooting a broadhead at a deer that you hadn't shot. You know, we should yeah. shoot them all, depending on what kind they were. Now, there's some expandables you don't have to do that, and I understand that. But to me, it's just something I really enjoy doing. You know, to me, sharing camp with, like, Gene and Barry Winsler, M.R. James, those guys, I mean, every night, you know, you get out those tiny little tackle boxes and there'd be a, a file and a whetstone and a piece of leather and everybody would just kind of see who could get their broadheads the sharpest. And I, I love that kind of stuff, you know. Again, yeah. that's just personal choice. But uh, I would love to see young people do that more. It's just kind of the heritage thing. And no, I'm not stuck in the past. I have a pretty fancy compound bow and you know, carbon airs and all that stuff, but some of the old school stuff I like. Yeah. Well, I think anytime you can be in camp with somebody like MR James, that's that's a whole nother level right there. <laughs> I had him on my podcast. He's an amazing guy. <clears throat> and he's so well read and so well spoken, you wouldn't think he's as deadly and dedicated bow hunter as he is, but he is Absolutely amazing. I spent a week with him one time in Texas. He was determined to kill a, a really nice whitetail from the ground, which I was like shaking. And I was filming all this. We made a hundred right. countries out of it. And I was with him for a week. And I was like, I learned really how good he was and how stealthy he was. But, you know, it's it's fun to be around people like that who have seen the changes in technology and stuff and embraced it like like I have. But, you know, still got a little old school in them. That's kind of fun sometimes. But, you know, you, you learn from guys like that. And they learn how to be successful with way less gear and way less technology. So you, you can't just shrug all that off. Some of, some, of, some of the advice they give you is pretty good stuff. Yes. Yeah. And, and if, I'll tell you what, that's, if you're getting advice from guys like that, I'm listening. <laughs> yeah. You know, the... Gene and Barry Wentzel were, they're probably the two best bow hunters I've ever been around. And of course, they're up in years now, but I was around them in their kind of their heyday. And they, uh, they, they made really big deals about, uh, especially your approach to your stand. And Gene, Barry told me one time, he said, look, he said, imagine your whole body is covered in wet paint, like orange wet paint. And you walk all the way to your stand and everything you brushed against, you turn around, you're going to see that orange red paint. He said, you you got to sneak into your stand without getting paint on anything. Yeah. He, he, he just went to the 10th degree on stealthiness and getting to your stand and 
making sure the wind's just right and what the thermals are doing and how quiet and still to sit. And I filmed, I filmed him and Gene killing deer with recurve bows. And, man, it's just you can learn so much from those guys because, like, again, now they were just shooting traditional archery gear, big broadheads. They sharpened themselves. Uh, calf hair tabs, that kind of stuff. But man, I, we always kill stuff when we went with them. So, uh, yeah, lot to be lot to be said for that. Yeah, something to be said for it for sure. And it's, I've, I've heard guys talk about that. They're like, oh, well, um, you know, they'll be hunting a certain buck, and they'll be like, well, I, I just can't get in there today because the wind's not right to get to my stand. And I'm like, just you know, I'm a West Coast guy. We just don't have as many opportunities is what they do back in the east and the midwest so, totally totally 100 percent different game it is, sure is it really is and if you grew up down there you know you got to stop and think you know like west coast stuff a lot of public ground out there a lot of spot stock that's awesome and growing up in mississippi i used to read about it and dream about it couldn't wait yeah. to get out to colorado and and we did it i would take three or four guys we'd go out there every every fall and just come home humbled because we didn't know about <laughs> yeah. it, but, but we loved it. But, you know, what we did, we got good at because, like, in Mississippi or Alabama, is like a deer day. I mean, yes. you guys, you know, it depends on what state you're in out west. You get one new deer, one whatever. Yeah, that's – when you start talking about, you know, those opportunities for a deer a day, I, you know – there, there's places here you have to wait. If you don't hunt a certain area, it's it's 25 years just to draw the tag. And uh, and that doesn't provide you any opportunity. So then you start talking about a deer a day. And, man, that's I can see where a guy can get into that. Yeah, I mean, you learn a lot because, you know, bow hunting is a different deal. And you make mistakes and you learn and you learn. But if you keep going enough, you know, you get better at it. That's why I say my, my the rig I'm shooting now it's kind of something I've involved into because it's very simple. I can draw that bow sitting down. I can draw it standing up, one foot on my stand, turn around left. I know how much poundage. I shorten the draw length just a little bit. I don't set it up for 3Ds and stuff like that anymore. I set it up to kill something at 20 yards, you know, or, yeah. and, and I can. And it's just different, but it's it's all bow hunting. You know, if you're if you're just slinging an air with a string, it's we're all brothers. I don't care what you use. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's. I'll, I'll tell you a quick story, and I might have told you this before, but when I was on that hunt with Mr. James, I was filming him. We were down in Texas, South Texas, and when he got there, there was this guy there shooting traditional gear, and Mr. can shoot traditional gear really good, but he brought a compound, and this guy was all over him about. Man, you started Bowhunter Magazine, and you do this. I can't believe you're shooting a compound. It was just ripping him. Mr. being the nice guy, he wouldn't just nod his head and all. And this went on every night. We'd come in, and this guy was ripping, ripping. And uh, finally, like on the fourth or fifth day, he was he was getting really close to getting a shot. And I heard some rustling. I cut my eyes down. There's this big snake. It's called a blue indigo. But anyway, it looks like something out of the Amazon was coming right at me. And I grunted or moved or something, and I blew the deal. The deer got away, and MR turned around. What happened? So I was a little outdone with myself. And I was just the cameraman. Anyway, we got back to the camp, and the guys, he starts up on him again. And I walked up and pushed MR to the side. And I, and I went to the guy and said, hey, wh where are you from? 
and he happened to be from Michigan. I said, did you walk down here in moccasins that you fixed yourself? Right. What are you doing? What are you doing with them Rocky boots on and those Nikon binoculars? And by the way, shut up. Yeah. If he's got, if we've got a hunting license <laughs> and we're, and we're by, and we're going by the rules, we're all on the same team. See, that guy was hunting for all the wrong reasons. Yeah. He was, he was trying to prove something to somebody. And it's like, dude, it, I don't care what you use. If it's legal, go use a claymore mine. I don't care. Where can you do that? I have not done that, but I'm game. I hear you. Sometimes I get so mad at them. That's what I want to do. But (laughs) the deer, the the deer where I hunt on my little farm, they're so smart. It's crazy. It's unbelievable. You cannot, especially when the leaves are gone. Man, you you talking about having to up your game with hiding? It's crazy fun. But you know, it keeps you sharp. So. I'm for everybody doing whatever they, you know, if, if you're proficient at 50 yards, so be it. And if you're deadly with this and you need six pins, I, I have no issue with technology, but I do have issue with people who, you know, question your equipment or your ability or your reasoning for hunting. It's just, there ain't enough of us to go around. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, you know, I look at some of my own equipment. And, you know, there was a time, gosh, I, when I started, I was pulling 80, I think 80 or 82 pounds. And I had big, heavy aluminum arrows. And my trajectory at 50 yards was, you know, looked a lot like a rainbow. And, yeah. you know, now all of a sudden I'm, uh, you know, shooting a little less poundage, but, you know, lighter arrows. And it's amazing what you can do out there well beyond where I'd have even considered taking a shot before. Yeah, and, it's uh, a different different day, new technology, and I don't I don't get hung up on 20 yards. I really don't. People are really good at different distances. That's cool. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, me personally, I, I don't shoot enough to, to, to do those 40 and 50-yard things. Look, I've been down that road. I had a Golden Eagle one time set up, and I was getting 82 pounds out of this thing. And uh, twisted the string rib. Anyway, it was pulling about 82 pounds, and I put an overdraw on it, homemade. You know, it was a bracket you screwed into the burger button hole, then moved your rest back, whatever, five, right. six inches. And this thing was shooting a 21, 14, 22, or 23 inches long, 232 feet a second. And I was like, there's no way they'll ever make one faster than that. <laughs> and, 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 now Kitty Bow from Walmart off the shelf will shoot two hundred and thirty feet. But anyway, oh, yeah. again, it's just how far technology's gone. Yeah, it's nice. Well, it just you know there there's always going to be guys that are that next level. That no matter where technology is, you know, I mean, there's guys they can go make their own bow and make their own arrows and make their own broadheads and still be successful. But you yeah. know, the technology helps you know, the 90 some percent of us who don't have those kind of skill sets and, and just don't have, you know, the ability to do that kind of thing. And, and the better and the more successful we can be using, you know, standardized equipment, so to speak, um, you know, the more that we can all enjoy the sport that we love. Amen. Hey, look, I'm for whatever makes it easier. Yeah. I'm the same. I'm the same way with spin feeders. You know, they, they people get up on a high horse about that, and I'm like, 
you know what? If that's what it takes for uh, a twelve-year-old to kill a deer with a bow and arrow, that, I'm fine with that. It doesn't matter to me. I had a guy cuss me out one time because he watched a hunt in the company, uh, country episode where uh, I had this nine-year-old kid and he shot a deer out of a food plot in a blind. And he was like, you ain't teaching that kid anything. You were baiting, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I told him, I said, look, this kid was nine years old. He'd been hunting about 20 times, never seen a deer. And he was done. And I took him mm-hmm. on this hunt, and he saw five or six deer. He missed this one, but he was hooked and still hunts to this day. Yeah. Kind of lit the guy up. And he, at the end of the conversation, he was wanting to know the dimensions on the blind and what I planted in the food part. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's all there. Hey, look, I'm for whatever makes you successful. Cause, yeah. Uh, now is a really good time. There's, we are primed right now is the perfect storm because everybody's wanting to know where their food comes from. I sit on the board of the National Deer Association, which used to be QDMA, and we've done, they've done lots of things at farmers markets, you know, cooking venison, getting people involved. People want to do it. Yeah, they get a little hung, they get a little hung up on deer. What hangs them up on deer is what to do with it once it's dead on the ground. They don't have an issue with killing a deer. So we got to train them on, you know, hey, there's deer processor right down the road. Or this is how yes. field dress. People want to know where their food comes from. And now's a perfect time to embrace and be a mentor and get other people. I tell people all the time, you know, and I do it as much as I can. But if you you don't necessarily have to just do a kid. There's grownups everywhere that would love to live that lifestyle. Just they're a little intimidated. So if you, you know, and- you're entirely right. There's not only that, there are hunters out there who would like to know more about this that just haven't had good exposure. Absolutely. You know, and I'm telling you, the the food aspects, the way to approach it, not that I don't have an approach. I can approach hunting from any angle. It doesn't matter to me. But we did a hunt. The first hunt they did for the field of fork thing, there was 30 participants, and it was the most diverse crowd of people I've ever seen. You know, it was a girl there with pink hair. There was an Asian guy. Hey, it was just across the gamut. It was the most fun. And yeah. all they were, all they wanted to do was learn. They yeah. were smart, and they wanted to know how to how to deal the deer, how to deal with the deer, how to cook it, how to get. And you start getting people to that level, and they say, "Well, there wasn't any kids in that bunch." Well, cool. I understand that, but here's the deal: if you teach a kid. And you take him and you get him hooked, and he's nine, ten, eleven years old. Guess what? If his mom and dad ain't hunting, he ain't going. No, he don't have a driver. He don't have a driver's license. If you can get somebody hooked as an adult, they can keep going and get repetitive with this, and they can in turn introduce it to other people. So, you know, again, you got to kind of think outside the box. Yeah, I think uh, you know you mentioned it right there. I think the main thing, because you see a lot of energy and a lot of effort. Um, you know, put into youth programs. You know, we do that here even at Pope and Young. We have some youth programs to get people involved. But, sure. you know, like I say, a nine-year-old, is they don't have a, a truck. They don't have, you know, a job. Hunting is not cheap. <laughs> and so if you look at, at recruiting hunters, you're more likely to recruit and retain a hunter that has the, you know, a physical ability to go do it and the you know, the capacity financially to, to continue rather than somebody who's who's focused solely on mom and dad providing all that for them. 
That's right. And if you if you come at it from the food aspect side and you start seeing the price of red meat and all that, plus people want to know where their meat comes from, they justify those costs really well. They do. They can get that straight in their mind pretty fast. People people have the interest. I'm telling you, they would love to live that lifestyle and figure it out. And the cool thing about whitetails is they're everywhere. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like giving away a goblin turkey on public land. You can find whitetail deer anywhere. Yeah. That, it just makes perfect sense. I mean, sure, you got to have kids. The, the deal with kids is there's so many great conservation groups, and God bless every single one of them. But all those kids of those parents and those conservation groups are going to get it anyway. Yeah, they're gonna get exactly. To, they're going to get to, and, you know, reaching other people who have that interest and the means to do it, to me, is a priority. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we, we want to recruit recruit more hunters, but we want to spend our time recruiting the ones who can actually participate. That's right, and they want to participate. They really do. Yeah. I'm telling you, people are getting more dialed in and man, more worried about where this comes from, and that that's a great way to recruit people. Say, yeah. man, I got I got the best, most you know, uh, free range and protein you can imagine here. Come eat some of this venison or some yeah. of this elk or something, and man, they're hooked. It's all organic. Yes, yeah, yeah. I, I was at the post office yesterday, and and I was. Uh, doing some mailers while I was there and, and just happened to be talking to the guy that works there and and she asked me what I did and so I told her a little bit about you know Pope and Young and what we do and she's like oh that's so great my my grandson just took up hunting and she says you know no no one in my family ever hunted and I said didn't you ever get hungry and she just kind of yeah. looks at me she's she says no and I said man I wouldn't know what to do if I didn't have a freezer full of meat at all times yeah, so it is. It's, some we it's a, some of us are taken for granted. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, we're just you know people have lost that. You know, I was I did a record a podcast here you know an hour ago and anyway the person I was talking about has a twenty acre farm and they sell this and eggs and all that. But what one of the things we had in common is when COVID hit, I was able to shut my gate and shut it down. I, I didn't need to leave. Yeah, uh, you, you know, I had a, I had two freezers full of this. You know, we had uh, eggs. I had put stuff back and all that. And that that hunter's mindset is a, is a good is a good place to be when something like that happens. And I, I think, even though the COVID thing's kind of going away, I, I think that mindset's going to stick around. I think with some people, it certainly will, because all of a sudden, you know, I, I think some people went to the store and all of a sudden they saw. Oh no, I can't buy what I want to buy right now because it's not yep. on the shelf. And I think that hit home with some folks. That was no doubt. And some people will never get it. You know, no. they'll, uh, they'll, uh, you, you, and there's people I understand they say I'm a vegan or whatever, but you know, if you're getting some protein, something's dying. Well, you know, one of the things that we like to ask each and every one of our guests on the show. And, and especially the ones who have been out there and, and been and, and gone as many places as you have hunting. What is one thing that you take with you on a hunt, maybe a non-traditional item that uh, that you wouldn't want to go out there in the field without? It just, you know, it's pretty easy for me, even around my home and all that. I never go anywhere without an old school compass. 
you know, people okay. have gotten so well. People get so reliable. You know, they get rely they rely on their phones and this and that. But I've been lost. I'm talking about I've been really lost in a big area, and that is absolutely terrifying. I don't, and you know, I'm not a bushcraft guy. I can build a fire, whatever. But I, for, I don't care if I'm going out west. You know, the last elk I killed was in uh, Utah. And, uh, man, I had that compass with me. And, of course, you got to take a few bands when you get there. And, you know, I, here's where I'm getting out and this or that. But I just don't go anywhere without an old school compass. That's that's a smart, smart <laughs> man right there. Yeah. I, I was on the ocean once. And uh, if I hadn't had a compass on my boat, I... It, it, you know, the way things were, the fog rolled in and you yeah. couldn't see the front end of a 20 foot boat. And, uh, you know, for whatever reason, the electronics just weren't picking it up. Oh man. Uh, if it wasn't for that compass, I wouldn't have known which way to go. You uh, just couldn't to this tell. Day, yeah. To this day, I'll have it and I'll, I'll, I'll take a reading when we got me and a good friend of mine, we went to a hundred thousand acres of public land in Nebraska to turkey hunt. And we're in our 60s. And, uh, I mean, you got to do some hiking when you're on public land. I mean, the turkeys ain't going to be out there close to the road. But anyway, <clears throat> I take a reading when we left the truck every day. He's like, what are you doing? I said, I just need to know which way the truck is. And yeah. I, I, I always have it with me, you know, and it's just a, a little security blanket. But like I say, if you've ever, if you ever get lost, really lost, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll figure something out. That compass is a, a good thing to carry. Absolutely. That's a good tip. Dylan, make sure that one gets added to the list. I certainly will. Well, I'll tell you what, we uh, kind of just scratched the surface here, but really appreciate you coming on and spending some time with us. Um, appreciate all, all you do for, for hunting and, and being an ambassador for the sport and uh, and just, just introducing folks to – you know, helping folks that are into it get better and, and helping introduce new people to, to hunting. Well, <clears throat> thank you for what you guys do. It's important. You know, the when we launched Mossy Oak, it was all about outdoor writers. I mean, it was about the written word, Outdoor Life magazine, Field and Stream, Bow Hunter. And now you know, it's, it's people like you guys who get the word out. And that media, that's a huge responsibility. So thank you for what you're doing. It's a big deal. Don't ever let anybody convince you it's not. And thank you for inviting me. I'll be glad to come back anytime and and give you that old school perspective. Keeping in mind, we I, I still embrace technology, guys. I appreciate the invite. Thanks so much.